Good morning. Uh, it still is morning, isn't it? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I got in on Friday and it's, my body clock is telling me it's 6 a.m. Um, and so I'm kind of, 6 a.m. tomorrow. So, so I'm kind of um, not sure what's going on at the moment, but um, hopefully as we, as we share this time together, it would be a blessing to each one of you. Uh, I feel kind of like I have to, I'm, I'm, I'm an Aussie here, so I don't know what, crikey, <laughs> or, or for, for the older ones, um, throw another shrimp on the barbie, that's it, right? Um, now that we've got that out of the way, right? Uh, um, I, I asked Pastor Steve, actually um, this morning when I was preaching, I noticed, I don't know if you know this, but there are big, yellow, intimidating numbers and it's a countdown for the sermon. And thankfully for the, this service, that's not there, so I don't feel the pressure. That's not to say that I'm going to preach too long, but, but um, I feel a lot, a lot freer in terms of um, what I can say and, and what, how I can introduce myself. Um, but I asked Pastor Steve, so, so uh, I first met Pastor Steve, uh, this would have been about 12 years ago. 12 years ago when he was pre previously serving at another church. We invited him over for a ministry that we, would, we were doing and he came as a guest speaker. And since then we've kept in touch, since then we've kept connected and, um, you know, we, we, it's, it's almost like we're living in parallel, parallel universes, he and I, um, although he's much, much different to me. He's way bigger for a start, right? But... Um, we're the same age. We moved out of Korea. We were both born in Korea. We both migrated out of Korea around the same same age. We planted our churches around the same time as well. So, so it's it's quite similar the the path that God has uh, led us on. Um, he he asked me to come out and he um, off, uh, suggested that I preach and uh, I was very glad for the invitation. Um, I asked him what's the dress code. I thought you know I've got to wear a suit, and he said no, we're casual, um, jeans button-down shirt. And I was thinking, jeans, that's a bit too casual, isn't it? It's America. I, I'm an Aussie, so I, I'm, used to, I'm used to casual. I'm used to underdressing, but I thought I should dress a bit more. And then I came here, and I was the most, most overdressed. So, so, so I, feel like, I feel like I've done the Australian reputation a disservice. So I don't know if I have to pull my shirt out and whatever, but um, it's, it's a pleasure for me to be here. Uh, I don't know when I'd ever get to see you again, but I hope you're blessed by God's word as we share it together. Um, as, I was, as I was thinking and praying about what to preach, um, I was, it's always a difficulty because when you come as a guest speaker, um, there are things that you do as, as a congregant member. You want to hear about the preacher. You want to hear their life story. You're interested in what they've gone through. But rather than a sermon, rather than a testimony about me, I want to direct our attention to God's word because ultimately that's where it's at, isn't it? That's where it's at for us. So, so rather than talking about me, I'd, I'd like to share God's word with you and focus on that. So let's go to God. Let's ask him for his help. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word unpacked before us, we humbly ask that you would be the one who ministers in the lives of every single one of us. God, you alone have called us here. Yes, we've come out of our own volition, out of our own choice. But sovereign in all of that was your calling for us. It's by your call, by your grace that we are gathered here. And you know the deepest need of our hearts. You know what we are going through. 
you know the struggles that we have. There may be things that we're encountering in our lives. There may be things that we're having in our relationships. They, they may be about our jobs. They may be about our studies. But whatever those issues are, help us to see that the greater issue is the alienation, the separation that draws us away from you because of our sin. Even though we have been made right with you in Christ Jesus, yet our sin becomes a barrier again and again and again. So God, I pray that firstly you would forgive us and that through this, through this message, through this sermon, you would deeply minister to each one of our needs. Lord, on the one hand, as we think about this issue of temptation, it may seem that it's a hard topic. It may seem that it's something that we don't want to hear. But Lord, would we, each one of us, hear your voice, the voice of the true shepherd calling to us to listen, to be comforted, to be challenged, and indeed to be transformed, to obey. So God, as we have this passage unpacked, I pray that you would be honoured, I pray that you would be glorified, and that we, as your very people, would receive much joy. And in Jesus' name I pray. About two months ago, I went to see my doctor for my annual health checkup. And um, as you get older, your body starts to break down. I mean, I, I told you I'm the same age as Pastor Steve, and you know, um, my, my stamina is not quite what it used to be. I get tired. Like, even now, um, these bright lights just aren't doing it for me. It's, 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 my mind is somewhat in a daze, a foggy daze, and I'm trying to desperately swim through it. But I went to see my doctor for my annual health check, and I was on time, but as usual, my doctor was late. You know, he had other appointments. And so I was sitting in, 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 in the office, in the, in the medical office, in the waiting room, and I picked up an old tattered magazine. You know, you know what it's like in a doctor's office, right? There's, there's always magazines out there, but you don't know where they got them from. It's, it's, it's it, uh, either they're, they're trashy tabloid celebrity gossip magazines from like three, four years ago, or they're, they're the um, Reader's Digest with random stories. And I don't even know where you get Reader's Digest, honestly. But, but they're, they're those things. Now, I was, I was at, at the surgery. It wasn't even a Reader's Digest thing, but it was some random, never-before-heard-of magazine that I picked up, and it was some stories there. And I was flicking through it. And I came across a page of humorous stories, and so I just thought, yeah, I'd read this. And as I was reading it, I thought, oh, my goodness. This is fantastic. This is gold. This is gold. And so I took a picture, with it, a picture of it with my smartphone, and I took it home, and, and, and I uploaded it to my computer, and I typed up the stuff from it. The reason was because I read this story, and I thought, I can use this in a sermon somewhere, and I'm using it here. <laughs> that story was this. It said, in the state of Oregon... A middle school was facing a unique problem. A number of girls had been putting on lipstick in the bathroom, then kissing the mirrors, leaving dozens of little red lip prints on the mirror. Finally, the principal decided to do something about the problem. So she summoned the girls to the bathroom and met them there with a janitor. She explained that the lip prints left on the mirrors caused a major problem for the janitor 
who had to clean the mirrors every single day. And to demonstrate just how difficult that was, she instructed the janitor to clean one of the mirrors. So he reached into his bucket of all his tools, took out a long-handled brush, and dipped it into the toilet and wiped the mirrors. <laughs> Since that day, there have been no more lip prints on the mirror. I'm talking about temptation in this sermon. And the thing about temptation is it's very much like that story about the mirror. Like those students, if we could only see what we are kissing, we would be disgusted and we would not be quite so attracted to it. See, the thing about temptation is that it, it afflicts every single one of us. It's not the same temptation for everybody. What tempts you is different to what tempts me, which is different to what tempts somebody else. We're all tempted in different ways, but what is true for every single one of us is that we are all tempted nonetheless. And one of the things that I've noticed about temptation is that those of us who live in affluent Western societies where we honestly, let's be honest, we don't really have much by the way of desperate needs, right? We really don't. But the thing is, what I've noticed is that for us who live in such affluence, such abundance, the more that we have, the more abundant our lives become, rather than being satisfied, we actually get more and more tempted, isn't it? I mean, think about those of you with jobs, or even those of you who are, who, who are university students, oh, college students. Those of you who are college students, think about it this way. You think, college students think, if, when I just get out of college and I get a job, then it'll all be okay. Once I have a steady income or a decent income coming in, then it'll be all okay. Those of you who recently graduated college and are working, is everything okay? And so you think to yourself, if only I get that promotion, then I'll be okay. Those of you who are married, well-established careers, well-paying jobs. Is that okay? Is that okay? There's a thing called um, the hedonic treadmill. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but it's the idea that even as a person makes more money, their expectations, their desires rise in tandem with the increase in their income. And so what results is no permanent gain in happiness. Our expectations, our desires, our wants in this life, from this life, the temporal things of this world, increases to be slightly more than what we earn, isn't it? If I could only get that bigger house, if I could only have that better job, that's where we're at. And this is the issue of, the temp of temptation for us. And this passage that we're looking at deals with temptation, it focuses on temptation, and it is a very, very important topic for us. Because for us as, I mean, I hazard a guess that every single one of you wouldn't be here unless Jesus is important to you at some level, right? That's a very obvious thing to say. 
And I, I would say that for most of us, we would agree, we would nod our heads in absolute agreement saying, yes, Jesus is the center of my life. What he has done for me on the cross, his death and resurrection, the work of the cross is absolutely essential and is my all in all that I need in life. We would agree to that at an intellectual level. But then we go out into the world, we live in society, we see a whole range of things and we find our hearts wanting, wanting, wanting other things. I'm sure for a lot of us, we know the things of what is right and what is true in the gospel. And yet, that's not necessarily reflected in our day-to-day -day living and the day-to-day -day ways in which we live out those desires. And so this passage is so very important for us to hear. It's a passage that focuses on temptation. And so I want us to consider this, this topic along three questions as we unpack this passage together. Number one, the first question, what is temptation? The second question, how are we tempted? And then the final question, how can we overcome temptation? So let's dive into this together. What is temptation? Now, we're looking at Luke chapter 4, but the connecting, connecting passage to, to the start of Luke chapter 4 is not the verses before it, but it's actually, it's, it's, it's about 10 verses before that. So in, in Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22 is where the, the narrative actually connects with what we're looking at now. And in that passage, Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22, in it, we see that Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan River. And there we're told that the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus like a dove. And we have there, in God's word, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, essentially the launch of Jesus' ministry. And so Jesus, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes out of the Jordan River and he's ready for ministry. And it is precisely at this point, precisely at this point that Jesus is attacked by Satan as we look at the passage today. Jesus is tempted again and again and again. But the thing about Jesus is that he stands firm, as we know he does, right? He is the only one without sin, the perfect God-man. He stands firm and comes out on the other end. And so we see in verse 1, we see verse 1 starting with Jesus coming from the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit. Then through the passage, he's tempted again and again and again. And yet at the end, in verse 14, Jesus, even after the attacks of Satan, he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So Jesus continues on God's way despite the temptations that are thrown at him. The, the temptations that we see in verse 2 that was, being, that was through the devil himself. Now, the road that the Father had placed Jesus on was the road to ultimate glory, the road to the crown the road to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But the thing for Jesus was that that road to glory, that road to the crown, was not a smooth sailing road, was not an easy road. It's a road that went through the cross. The Father's plan was that Christ's glory would be through the hum humiliation and the suffering of the cross. But along comes Satan, and he tries to offer to Jesus all the glory, all the privilege, all the honor without the suffering. 
What we're seeing there is Satan is offering to Jesus a shortcut. And that's basically what temptation is. At its essence, temptation is you thinking, temptation is thinking that there is a shortcut to joy, a shortcut to the fullness of life, a shortcut to everything that God would desire to give to you. Now, have you ever taken a shortcut and ended up lost or taking longer than anybody else? Now, I realize that for a lot of us today, we've never had, a, we've never really experienced a time when we didn't have GPS available. So, so you know, if you're really ever lost or really lost, you, you can just plug stuff into your smartphone and you know where you are. But for those of us who are somewhat older, we remember a time when, you know, we had to drive or whatever else and we didn't have a GPS, we had roadmaps. If you didn't have the roadmap, the, the, the paper map, then you actually had to, you know, ask somebody to draw you directions or you had to go by memory or whatever else. Now, one time, I just started in ministry. It was my first year of ministry and I was doing youth group and we were going away on a retreat. And I was one of the drivers, and, and, and one of the other teachers were driving along as well. And the campsite that we were going to, the, the conference center that we were going to, was three and a half hours' drive from Sydney. Three and a half hours' drive. And we're leaving on a Sunday after church. Now, one of the adult volunteers came up to me afterwards and, uh, before we were leaving, and he says, Pastor Steve, I know a shortcut. I know a shortcut. We can get there quicker. So I said to him, are you sure? How much time are we going to save? 30 minutes, no probs. Easy, no problems. So I said, okay, well, let's give it a go. I shouldn't have. Because we left around about 5 p.m. from church, after church. We should have been there at the latest by 9, 9 p.m. Even if we drove slowly, 9 p.m. We get to 12 p.m., you know, 12, no, 12 a.m., 12 midnight. We're still driving, and we're driving down this random dirt road. Thinking, where on earth are you taking us? Where on earth are we going? And, and, and he kept on... We finally got to the campsite at 1 a.m. And I said to him, that was meant to be a shortcut. I mean, what happened? And, and he, was, he was apologetic and gave me all these excuses, but what was done was done. He thought it was a shortcut. It wasn't. Haven't we all been in similar situations, not necessarily driving, but it could be a whole range of other things? We think it's a shortcut. We try it out, and actually, it isn't a shortcut, it takes longer. The thing is, shortcuts usually don't work. And for Jesus, the shortcut that Satan is offering obviously cannot work because there can be no crown for Jesus without the cross. There can be no glory for Jesus without the suffering. And for us as well, each one of us, every single one of us who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, what we have to look forward to in an absolutely sure way, in a way that can never be taken away from us, is the fullness of joy, fullness of glory for all eternity. Joy everlasting. God has promised that to us. But we need to see that there is no shortcut to it. It is, as the Bible confirms for us again and again and again, 
That glory, that joy, is only through the way that is often littered with suffering, grief, hardship. And the thing about temptation is that we think that by doing these things, by taking after these things, we can shortcut to a joy that we desperately desire. But that's not possible. So temptation is the false promise that we can reach the end destination of the fullness of joy without going through all of the trials, without going through all of the travails that are part of God's plans for each one of us. And I think this is something that we really, really need to hear. This is another sermon altogether. But for us, living in the affluent West in the 21st century, we need to realize that we have a very, very distorted understanding of suffering. Suffering is not necessarily bad thing. I'm not saying suffering is always a good thing. No, that's not what I'm saying. But suffering is not necessarily a bad thing. For as the Bible says, God disciplines those whom he loves. And the suffering can often be a part of God's plan for us to shape us, to mold us, to be more the person that he desires us to be. And so the first point, um, Temptation is a false promise that we can reach the end destination of the fullness of joy without going through the trials that are part of God's plan for us. Then how are we tempted? How are we tempted? If we look in our passage, the devil tempts Jesus in three ways. But each of those three ways ultimately touches on a type of hunger that we have. So the first temptation that the devil places upon Jesus is with food. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. And you can begin to, you can try and imagine how, how, how hungry Jesus would have been. And Satan tempts Jesus to turn the stones into loaves of bread. And so this, this is about a physical hunger. Satan is saying, look, what's, getting, what's, what's going on here is it's about a physical hunger, a hunger for physical things of this world. Then the second, second temptation that Satan um, unleashes on Jesus is the one with potential influence and power. So the devil offers the world to Jesus if only Jesus would worship Satan. And so that second temptation is about a power hunger, a power hunger. And the final temptation is a temptation through love and care. So the devil takes Jesus to the highest point in Jerusalem and tells Jesus if he jumps off, the father would never let Jesus come to harm and would come and rescue him. And so this is playing on the issue of an acceptance hunger. Now, each one of those three things, physical hunger, power hunger, acceptance hunger, each one of those things are not in and of themselves wrong. They're not. In the Garden of Eden, in sinless perfection, Adam and Eve ate. In the Garden of, Eve, Garden of Eden, in sinless perfection, Adam and Eve were given authority over creation, power over creation. In the Garden of Eden, in sinless perfection, Adam and Eve were given a perfect relationship with each other why? Because of their perfect relationship with God. 
There was absolute acceptance, vertically and horizontally. So in and of themselves, physical hunger, power hunger, acceptance hunger, in and of themselves, they're not necessarily wrong. Think about it. Food is glorious, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing as as wondrous and, and amazing as, as when you see how someone brings together these random ingredients, concocts them together, and then they whip up this, this delectable feast that, that dances on your taste buds and you think, this is amazing, right? How do you do this? Food is a glorious thing. To be a glutton is wrong, but to enjoy food in a proper way to give thanks to God for the wonders of, of his glorious creation that we can taste and eat is actually a right thing to do. You know, food, we should worship God even in our eating, right? Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Even in our eating, we should worship God. So food by itself is not wrong. Power in and of itself is not bad. Remember, the Bible says that God himself is the one who appoints powers and authorities. Power is bad because it has the potential to corrupt the one with the power and distort what should be, what should be done with that power. The power itself is not wrong. Acceptance is not wrong. Now, going overboard and being absolutely needy and needing the attention and the acceptance of others, that's wrong. That's an issue. But we were created with a longing and a need for acceptance and love. We can't live in a lone ranger existence where we just do things on our own. We need God, but we also need each other. So, so we were created for that longing. Acceptance is right, firstly with God and then with each other. So hunger... Power, acceptance, all of those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But they become bad when we elevate them to be ultimate things that we desire after, ultimate things that we need, because then they become for us idols. But the thing is, for us, that crossover point where we are using those hungers in a right way to honour God, to glorify God, to, to, to experience the wonders of God's providential grace to us. To go from that to misusing those hungers where they've been blown out and have become downright idolatrous, idolatrous um, chasing afters for us, that that gap, that difference, that crossover point is very, very hard for us to see. And that's why Jesus is attacked by Satan on those three points. And it's precisely, ultimately, those three areas where we have those hungers, physical, power, acceptance, it's precisely those areas that Satan attacks us with. That's one of the reasons why we're, we're so often urged in Scripture to take stock of our hearts, to take a check, a health check of our, a health check of our hungers. When the Bible speaks to us and says, work out, your, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, what does that mean? Does that mean that you work for your salvation? Clearly not. Ours is not a works-based salvation at all. 
then how do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? God is calling us, if you are saved, then these hungers, these issues that you'll have will become all the more the very means by which you honour and worship God, not something that you chase after to fulfil yourself. All of those good things that God gave to us can become cancerous idols, and Satan uses those to draw us further and further and further away from God. And so that's how we're tempted. So how can we overcome temptation? How can we overcome temptation? The key is what we see Jesus doing in our passage. The key is in in what Jesus does. If you look in verse 4, the first temptation that Satan lays upon Jesus, Jesus responds and Jesus says, it is written. Then verse 8, second temptation. Jesus responds to that by saying, it is written. Then verse 12, Satan tempts Jesus once more, and Jesus responds by saying, it is said. In other words, in each one of those occasions of temptation, Jesus responds by quoting scripture, by answering back, with God's word. Now, I'm not simply saying the answer is read your Bible, go home now. That's, that's, that's not what I'm getting at. That's not what I'm getting at. But what I'm saying is, is this. The temptations that Satan lays upon us is much too strong for us to overcome by the force of our own will and our own strength. We are not capable. We are not. But praise be to God that God has given to us something with which we can withstand the onslaught, the attacks of the enemy. And that something is God's word alone. If it was good enough for Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus is... Jesus is God. But he doesn't say, hey, Satan, get out of here. Don't bug me. Leave me alone. That's not what Jesus says. He comes at Satan with scripture. And if our Lord and Savior does this, what makes us think that we, his servants, can use any other means? It is God's word alone, which is the only effective weapon against Satan's ploys. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, that that famous passage of the armor of God, we're told to take up, among other things, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You see, the only way, the only effective way to resist Satan is by appealing to Scripture. To quote Scripture, not just to Satan, but to yourself. You see, what's going on is this. There's two competing truth claims in any situation of temptation. They're the truth claims of Satan saying to you, did God really say that? God's not enough. Jesus is not enough. You need those other things. 
You need to chase after those other things. You need to satisfy your physical hunger. You need to satisfy your acceptance hunger. You need to satisfy your power hunger. And against that is the truth claim that God himself makes to us through his revealed word, the Bible. That he, in his son Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us on the cross, is more than enough. More than enough. We need to be convinced of the truth of God's word rather than falling for the lies of Satan. When it comes to God, his word is complete, unshakable, true, eternal, never changing. It's without error, nor does it make a mistake. And so when the lies of Satan come at us and try and the lies of Satan try to draw us away from God and into temptation, rather than simply blindly going along. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a spiritual, spiritual, spiritual version of, you know, what do we t- tell our little kids? We tell them about stranger danger, right? Don't follow any random stranger who comes along. Satan is that random stranger who has none of your interests at heart. But what do we do? We so readily succumb to those things, don't we? When it comes to God, his word is complete. And so when the lies of Satan come, we should hold on to God's word and remind ourselves of God's word and speak God's word and God's truth into our lives and our hearts and rebut Satan's lies. And ultimately, however, using scripture means that we deeply embrace the truth that in Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That nothing can be ever something that we desperately need in our lives because it has all been satisfied and fulfilled and promised in Christ Jesus. And so when Satan comes with his wily schemes, trying to stumble us to fall, we should rejoice in the truth that our identity is in Christ. And that identity can never be taken away. And so Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39 is wonderful for this. It's on the the projector, but if you do have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it. It's a passage that we all know. And let me round this sermon off with a reading from this passage. Romans chapter 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. 
In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see what that passage is saying to you? We chase after temptation. We fall for temptation because we think that by chasing after those things, by embracing those things, that we might be satisfied, that we might have joy, that we might have fullness, and that we get there through a shortcut. But what God is saying is, can't you see that in my son, you have it already. It is yours, eternally, unchangeably. What we're being told here is, don't be like those girls kissing the mirror. Because you kiss that mirror, all you're doing is kissing toilet juice. That's all you're doing. If you, if you succumb to temptation, if you fall for it, you think it's a shortcut, but it's actually the long way around. And you'll be deeply, desperately disappointed. Rather, whenever you face temptation, speak God's word, God's truth to yourself. Preach it to yourself. Rebut the lies of Satan with God's word. Embrace God's truth. And even though that road be difficult, or even, hopefully, it'd be smooth as well. But whatever the road may be, stay true to God and follow after him. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a gracious God. You're a God who gives to us not only the fullness of life that is in Jesus, but you also give us the way, the means to live here and now. I pray that you would, by your spirit, protect each one of us so that rather than succumbing to temptation, rather than falling to the wily schemes of the devil, we would speak your words, your truth to ourselves, but also rebut Satan with them. And by it, through your strength, remain true and committed to you. So I pray this to be an ongoing and increasing reality for each one of us by your spirit's work. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.